Thanks so much, James. Oh, it's fantastic to hear all of those wonderful testimonies about what God was doing and having heard other things through the summer as well. Thank you, Lord. It's just wonderful. Uh, so, we're um, starting uh, a series for September. And as I was praying uh, about the start of this uh, academic year, the sense I had from God is that we need to prepare the ground ahead of Vision Sunday, which is the first Sunday in October. And the word for, the, the image around preparing the ground um, is uh, taken from that image of a field. As you look around the fields in Cambridge at the moment, many of them are being plowed up at the moment uh, in preparation for seed to be sown. And in preparing the ground, uh, the word that I think that God uh, gave us to, uh, gave me to teach into and, and speak into over these next four weeks is to call us to pray, to call us to pray. And prayer is what prepares the ground. It prepares the ground of our hearts, but it also prepares the ground in Cambridge as well. Now, the thing that I noticed from the, the testimonies that we heard, the stories that we heard there for Impact Sunday, was the number of times that somebody said as part of their testimony, we were praying for this. You know, Andy and Kathy said, we've been praying about our neighbors and how to connect. Uh, Jane saying, praying for an opportunity for bees and the praying out the street. The whole thing was based around prayer, that importance of prayer to prepare the ground and to to reach people to see our city transformed with uh, the love of God. So that's the image that we're staying with over these uh, next uh, four Sundays, preparing the ground. And the focus and the call is for us to commit to pray. And we're going to unpack four aspects of prayer. Three of these are inspired by Nick Harding's teaching on prayer. And these three are connect, contend, and continue in prayer. And the other, which we'll be covering next week, is a particular challenge to keep to the forefront of our prayer life, and that is to confess with thanksgiving that Jesus is Lord. So this morning is connect. One of the things that uh, Nick uh, says about prayer is that prayer is not transactional, it's deeply relational. Prayer is not transactional, it's deeply relational. People, you and I, we connect with God in different ways, but even the act of prayer itself is a sign of trusting in God's unfailing love and stepping into relationship with him. So we all connect in different ways and in different contexts. So as I read out these different uh, aspects of connecting with God, have a think about which one of these is, uh, well, maybe more than one, which one of these kind of, you go, oh yeah, that's how I connect to God. So um, people uh, connect, some people connect in activity or in risk taking, others connect in quiet contemplation and meditation, some connect in nature, some with serving, some connect in intellectual engagement, others in community and relationship. Uh, some connect in ritual and liturgy, while others connect in abandoned and spontaneous worship. Have a think for a moment. Uh, which, 
Which one or two of those you think, ooh, yeah, that's, that's how I connect with God. That resonates with me. And then uh, something which might be a bit more challenging, have a think of, ooh, which one of those do you think I could never do? Because that might be quite a good one to try over these next four weeks, step into something new. Uh, one of the ways I regularly connect with God is through sport. And uh, both engaging in sport, but as I, as I engage with sport, I often hear uh, God speak to me. Uh, and in this summer, I won't say which sporting event it was because it will distract you all and you all start looking on your iPhones. Um, but I heard the comment, or other, sorry, other mobile devices are available for the benefit of the tape. Apologies, folks, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I was watching one of those sporting events and uh, the commentator said, this person, this man has to stay in the moment. Has to stay in the moment. If he thinks ahead to what the prize might be, it's just going to all collapse. He's got to stay in the moment. And I was watching that and thinking, yep, he does. But at the same time, in my head, I had all sorts of things going on in my head about life and just, you know, just worries and things that were going round around my head. And that phrase, stay in the moment, stopped me. And I've started to use that when I start to kind of, my brain starts fizzing off into other things. I think, okay, no, stay in this moment, Anne. Stay in this moment. Stay with what God's asking you to do at this moment. Whether that's preparing for this word this morning or if I'm talking to somebody, stay focused on that person. Don't be looking around. Stay in the moment. So that's a kind of way that God used something from watching a sports thing to, to speak to me. There's lots of different ways. I mean, other ways to connect is, or ways that we would kind of more usually way to connect with God is to acknowledge the greatness and love of God, confession and repentance from sin, receiving forgiveness, thanksgiving worship, speaking or singing in tongues, hearing God's voice through scripture or directly from the Holy Spirit, reminding ourselves of who God is in us and who we are in him and declaring his promises. Those are some of the other ways of connecting with God. This morning I wanted to particularly draw us to connecting with God through the Psalms. Uh, John Goldingay says that the book of Psalms includes 135 examples of things that you can say to God. Fantastic. What a great handbook for us to be real with God, to be authentic with God. The Psalms were described as Israel's book of prayer, a book of worship. And they have the whole range of the ways that we can connect with God, from Psalms of lament through to outpourings of joy. The Psalms give us space to breathe. They can be a mirror for what's going on in our own lives. And those psalms of lament, it may surprise you to know that over a third of the psalms focus on lament. People really saying, this is what's going on in my life, Lord, now. Would you step in? Would you help? Would you bring a change? 
And I love that about the Psalms, that there's that grittiness to it, that depth of finding God in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenge. All of the Psalms of Lament, bar one, turn from lament into recognizing God's greatness, bringing God into the midst of it. But there's one, Psalm 88, which does all the lament and just stops. And that is brilliant too, because there's a place for us to express before our Father in heaven. It's really fill in the blanks just now. And we lay that before God. There's a gritty authenticity to our relationship with God. And it's really important that as we connect, we bring all of ourselves to God, even the stuff that we're finding challenging or that we don't understand. However we pray, however we connect, we learn to be authentic with God and find that he's completely authentic with us. So uh, with that introduction, we turn to Psalm 32, which is on page 560 of the Bibles that John has just been passing around. So Psalm 32 on page 560. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 32 is described in the title beforehand as one of the psalms belonging to David, and it's described as a mascal. Uh, one possible meaning of that phrase mascal is that this is a psalm that offers a pattern for prayer or praise. So whenever you see that when you're reading the psalms, that's a heads up, that this psalm is designed to give a God-given enlightenment on our relationship with God and the way to pray, the way to connect with God. And this psalm starts with a generalized instruction to the whole community. 
Uh, and this is how it's been translated by one of the commentators, verses one and two. Blessed is the one whose rebellion is carried, whose failure is covered over. Blessed is the one for whom God does not count waywardness and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Rather than those technical terms of transgression and sin and iniquity, what that translation does links in with the original language and talks of sin as rebellion, as failure, and brings the good news that someone who's blessed, someone who has the good fortune of knowing God, finds that God carries their rebellion and covers their failures and does not count them. Forgiveness involves God carrying and covering. God carrying the rebellion, accepting the cost of it onto himself and therefore not letting it destroy the relationship between us and him. God acting with incredible humility to take on the rebellion and carry it. Good fortune, being blessed, requires that divine love that carries, covers over, and declines to count. But it also requires the human openness that says, I'm not going to deceive here. And that's what we see in these next few verses of the psalm, verses three to five. The psalmist starts with that general comment to the community and then personalizes it and says, probably prompted by that final thing about don't be, uh, carry on being deceitful in verse two, because he carries on saying, actually, when I tried to keep silent about what was going on in my life, my bones wasted away. Silence, quietness, being deceitful, led to his strength being sapped like in the heat of the summer. And those of you who were in Cambridge on the hottest recorded ever day, know that sapping heat, the effect. You walk slower, work seems a whole heap more difficult. Everything slows down. But the psalmist was open and he acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. He didn't cover it up, he brought it to God. And God, through his covenant, covers it. And you forgave the guilt of my sin.
In my prayer life, I have a, a regular practice of coming to God to lay open before God what's going on. I encourage you also to do that. To have that open and transparency before God. And there are times when it's difficult to do that, where the temptation is to keep silent, to try and keep it hidden, which is a bit daft, really, when you're talking to an omniscient, all-knowing God, isn't it? But he wants me to be authentic in relationship. He wants me to step in to say what's going on. And as we do that, we discover that God carries our rebellion and he covers our failures and he doesn't count it against us. That's how he related with the old people, sorry, the Old Testament people of Israel all the way through, and then through Jesus. He absolutely brought in the reality that our rebellion is carried, our failures are covered, and he doesn't count it against us. Doesn't your heart lift as you realize that? I've really enjoyed preparing this talk. Not so much kind of going through all my failures and stuff, but bringing those to God and knowing he covers them. Hmm? Absolutely covered. That mistake you made at work last week, totally covered. The time you snapped at somebody in your household and your family, totally covered. Let's take a moment in the quiet now to just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to the surface something that you know you need to bring to God, that maybe you've pressed down and tried to keep silent. Let's, let's bring that to God. And then I'll pray a prayer of release over us before we move on with the rest of the talk. Lord, thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Thank you, God, that you cover our failures in Jesus Christ. You put your hand over them so you can't see them. Thank you that you carry us. Thank you that you refuse to keep a record of wrongs. Thank you that we are forgiven people in Jesus Christ.
Thank you, Lord. Amen. And along with the psalmist, the relationship is restored and in response to that, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. We connect with God and like the psalmist, remember that he is our protector, that he is our hiding place. David here in this psalm remembers all that God means to him. And unexpectedly, right into the moment, God speaks. Verse eight, according to John Goldingay, is a separate verse of God speaking to the person, where the preceding and the following verses are ones where the psalmist is saying all of these things. The verse eight here is God speaking direct into the midst of it. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So as the relationship continues, as the connecting continues, God is the one who speaks into our life, instructs us, takes us forward, and it is, note, with a loving eye on us. What a fantastic image of God connecting with us. And then it carries on. Don't have to be brought in like a horse with a bit and a bridle, but go with the understanding which God gives you. And you will find that God's unfailing love surrounds you as you put your trust in him. And whenever you read the Psalms, whenever you read the phrase unfailing love or steadfast love or faithful love. It's a translation of a word heseth. And that word heseth references God's covenant love, that deep covenant love that he's made for us in Jesus Christ. So one of the practices of prayer that I've got into over this last year is to regularly read a portion of a psalm each day. And I've found that as I have done that, that sometimes it's simply reading the psalm. And at other times, I have read the psalm and there has been a particular line in the psalm that God has taken and he's spoken personally to me. There were 10 days in March when I was every day going through a very severe level of grief to do with my mum's death. And I was hanging on in there reading the Psalms. And each one of those days, a line of the Psalm, God took and applied personally to me. That connection was there. 
At the moment I'm reading the Psalms, it's a bit more like a discipline. But it's that connection that we're looking for of God to speak into our lives. So I commend to you, take up reading the Psalms as we go through this, preparing the ground month during September. Not only preparing our own hearts, but preparing in Cambridge and beyond for sharing more of God's goodness and seeing those seeds grow and come to harvest. But let's start with prayer. Let's start with prayer. That all leads to this final verse. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. That is the other practice of prayer that I wanted to bring this morning. Is that as we sing God's praises, as we recognize who he is and what he does in, his, in our lives, that is that place of connection. 